So if they've never invested in real estate before, they have $10,000 in the bank, they don't have a potential strategic partner, they aren't working with a coach, they just want to find a cheap opportunity to invest because they're, they're not existent in most other countries, certainly Canada. They think that they're going to cash flow at 12%, you know, cap rate, which I would be investing. Thank you very much. They don't understand that they need property management if they're doing short-term rentals. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Lauren Cohen, and today we're talking about investing in real estate across borders, specifically for those of you out there who are outside of the U.S. and are interested in investing inside the U.S. Today, we're diving into many of the considerations and options that folks have to bring funds into the U.S. and buy real estate in the United States. We dig into mistakes that people make, how to know whether you're ready or not to get started, at least from Lauren's position as an attorney helping folks with this, how she knows when somebody's probably ready to go or definitely not ready. We uh, dig into that and so much more information, different legal programs that are out there for folks to bring capital into the United States and have a track toward getting a residency or getting a green card really is what it is. And some other concerns to have if this is a direction that you're interested in going. A lot of great information in this one from Lauren. So you're going to learn a lot. I know you guys are out there who want to invest in the U.S. from overseas. I've talked to many of you and hopefully this interview will help you do that. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and schedule a call with me. I look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you do enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. Now, I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time and I mean it every single time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. I do actually read your comments and ratings and reviews and I appreciate it so, so much. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Lauren Cohen. We're talking about investing in the U.S. from overseas. Without any further ado, here we go. Lauren, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Taylor. I'm excited to dig into this as a topic that I get people reaching out and asking me about. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background and legal practice, can you tell us about yourself and what you do, please? Sure. I am Lauren Cohen. I'm originally from Toronto. I am now in South Florida <laughs> and still at this time of year, March 5th. People are still envious of that. I am a cross-border lawyer and I'm also a licensed realtor. I'm also a franchise broker. So I work with people that are investing both in the U.S. and other countries, mainly into the U.S. and Canada, and also people that are investing to immigrate. So there are people that just invest, set up entities, set up structures, make their investments, buy real estate mainly, of course, that's the most popular one. 
And then there are people that use those investments as a path to immigrate. And that has become much more popular in the past six months than it's ever been in my entire career. Wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Do you, why do you think that is? Is that because of international changes? Is it because we're, yep. you know, most of the U.S. has kind of dropped a lot of the COVID restrictions? Is it because of the presidential mm, administration? Yep. All of the above. But <laughs> for me, being from Canada, there's an additional element. And the, the big one for me is that Canadians are fed up with lockdowns and rules and frustrated with the way that the government has handled the situation up there and the um, overreaching arms that they see the government as having. I am not making a political comment here. I'm just saying. Um, just reporting so the, what their, their opinion is. Yeah, exactly. And it's really, it's just become a pervasive thing. If I don't get three or four inquiries per day, I'm like, it's a shocker. And <laughs> I used to get three or four inquiries maybe every other week, like usually one or two a week. And now I'm getting three or four a day. There's been There have been days in the past couple of months when I've had 30 or 40 inquiries in a single day. It's just been crazy, especially after a snowfall. So that tends to help the people, especially from my hometown of Toronto. And I actually got into this business because my ex-husband, now ex-husband, was deported on the way back from our honeymoon. Wow. So I had my own unbelievable immigration experience. I was in the process of getting my green card and I got my green card and they said, no, no, no to him. Bye, bye, bye. And he was put in immigration jail, expeditiously removed, subsequently deported. And that is what actually prompted me to get into immigration, realizing that I needed to find a resource that wasn't going to lead to the same result. And my book is called Finding Your Silver Lining in the Business Immigration Process, because it's all about going through that, you know, persevering through the challenges and finding your silver lining. So that's wow. what I do. Wow. So uh, I presume he was Canadian as well, sent back to Pardon me? Canada. I presume he was Canadian as well, sent back to Canada. He was Canadian, years. although I met him here. Um, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Interesting. Fair enough. Okay. So I get, you know, folks reaching out to me about, you know, investing in, in U.S. real estate from overseas for, you know, numerous reasons, you know, pick reasons, but mm -hmm. I believe, you know, the U.S. is a great place to invest in real estate. And I'd love to dig into, you know, at least the basics around what's required to get your money in the U.S. and buy U.S. real estate if you're from, let's say, not a, a, a an adversarial, you know, country, maybe a country we have at least di decent diplomatic relations with. Well, the easiest is always going to be Canada because okay. the country, the the way that the taxes are, then the approach, you know, regulatory and the approach to just government in general and just systems and rules is, is as, as similar as any two countries can be. And yet as different as people don't realize. And what I mean by that is Canadians think it's all the same. Oh, I can move my money. I can start a business. I can invest in real estate. I don't have to think about anything. It's not true. And it's not one size fits all. And a lot of people think it is. So I actually have a 10-step process, 10 steps to successful real estate investing in the U.S., which I will be glad to share with you. It's Love a it. free download. And it's specifically for real estate investors talking about the importance of like, you know, I don't do anything without my cross-border tax guy. And that that's a cross-border tax guy for Canadians, for Brits, for French people, for people from the Ukraine, for, you know, for anybody from anywhere. And hopefully, God willing, by the time this airs, that will be over. But somehow, totally. I don't think it will. But anyways, the point is that if you don't follow these steps and you don't follow all of them and you don't set up the right structure and you don't get the proper 
cross-border tax guidance and legal advice, you will end up having to pay some of your money to whatever your tax governing authority is or to the IRS. And so why bother to do this at all if you're going to be end, end up paying all your money to them, right? It's kind of pointless. And a lot of people are like, but it costs money. Yes. It's kind of like getting insurance for your car. You're not going to drive your car without insurance and you don't want to get it in an accident. So you're not getting insurance and get in an accident. You're getting insurance so you can have the protection. And that's the same thing when you're investing across borders. So people don't realize that investing in your home country is challenging enough. But as soon as you cross borders, that those challenges are magnified greatly. And not only do you have to think about financial issues such as getting your money into the country or out of your country. Now, that's going to be different if it's Canada versus Mexico versus Colombia versus Russia versus whatever. Where, like it depends on the currency controls in the home country. And then you've got to think about, OK, what happens when the money comes into the new country? And how can that money be used? Like, are, is there, are, are there restrictions on how I can use the money? What, how do I get it into a bank account? How do I set up that bank account? Do I be a corporate entity? What does that corporate entity look like? Way too many people just go ahead and set up a limited liability company. They see, you know, those, those online resources and they're like, oh, I, I can do this. I'm going to set up an LLC. It's 300 bucks. Yeah. And then suddenly you realize that LLC is not recognized in your home country. So you've just not only wasted 300 bucks, but put yourself in legal jeopardy because you didn't have that proper advice. And maybe you needed a limited partnership in order to protect your interests. So there's all kinds of considerations and far too many people don't pay attention to them. Wow. There's clearly a lot to think about. You mentioned one in particular, the IRS in the U.S. or the home tax authority, you know, running into potential issues with them. I guess, which is more common that people run into issues with the IRS or they run into issues with their home tax authority? Is there, does it kind of swing one way? It's really going to depend on where they're from. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because um, a Canadian is going to have a different experience than a Brazilian, right? Because just because of the way that the countries are respectively governed. It's also going to depend on if you are looking to immigrate eventually, if you want to become a U.S. resident for tax purposes, or if you don't, because sometimes you might put yourself in a situation where you suddenly are and you didn't intend to be. And then all of your all of your worldwide income is taxable by the IRS. So, you know, it's a very common thing. And and most Americans don't realize this because, you know, Americans think that everything is the same as it is in America, right? It's just, that's <laughs> sure. the way Americans are. It's nothing, nothing negative. It's just a fact, okay? I'm dual, I'm a dual citizen, so I'm also American. Mm-hmm. But American companies tend to think very American-centric. So let's say you're, you're setting up a syndication or a real estate coaching company. And you set up this coaching company and you have this system in place to access mortgages without qualifying for them or access financing without qualifying for mortgages. Yeah. But what does that mean if you're from Mexico or what, you know, what does that mean if you're from Canada? How does that work for you? And let's say that you set up these entities that they're telling you to set up, but they're not recognized by the, that, that home country's authority. You're in, you're in trouble. So it's really important 
to be working with people that understand the rules on both sides of whatever the border is, whether it's a land border, whether it's a you know sea border, whether it's just you know completely overseas in the in the Far East or Middle East or whatever. Either way, you need to speak with a, an accountant that understands the rules on both sides. Is there a tax treaty between the countries? Is there an immigration treaty? What what are the relationships? How does that work? How did how what's your best way to exchange currency? Should you exchange currency? How do you get your money into the U.S.? I have a client now. They have, it's a significant client and all of their money is in a U.S. financial institution already. So all of their investments and they're not, they're from South America, but all of their investments are already in the U.S. So they're only cashing out to, to invest in the U.S. because that's how that they, that's how they've managed their money so that they don't have these currency rest- restrictions because you keep on moving certain sums of, sums of money. That's probably, uh, honestly, the way I would do it and avoid a lot of those uh, exchange issues and getting across borders. And plus, you know, I figure the U.S. is probably one of the safest places to have your your money and property, at least from a, a governmental standpoint. Now, you mentioned uh, one of the things there about kind of accidentally becoming a U.S. citizen for tax purposes and then finding Not that out. Not citizen, the- resident. Resident, so okay. There are okay. ways to become a U.S. resident for tax purposes without intending for that to happen. I am not a tax expert, but if you end up being in the U.S. a certain number of days, they could treat you as a U.S. resident and suddenly all of your income is taxable. So you need to be really careful about how that all works and, again, who you're consulting with. Not me. I'm not a tax expert. So the, what I know is how to bring those experts in. My, my superhero power, as they say, and I'm not saying this to be smug, but my superpower is not doing everything. It's knowing to stay in my lane and knowing how to bring in the experts that do the things that I don't do. Like, I'm not a lawyer in Utah, but I have a client that's investing in Utah. So I bring in a colleague in Utah that can help them with their structure in Utah. That's that. That's where I bring my expertise to the table is knowing that I don't know everything, but I have somebody that does. Perfect. I love to hear that. Now, there's the... We, we touched on this a little bit before we started recording, but the EB-5 visa, it sounds like that's, you know, kind of changed, come and gone, or things have, you know, shifted around that. I re- recall a lot of talk about that a number of years ago, but I haven't heard anything recently. So can you clue us in, tell us what's uh, going on with the EB-5 visa, especially for real estate sure. investors? So there's been a lot of changes. EB-5 is a program where basically foreign investors can buy a green card through a passive or active investment by investing a certain amount of money in a U.S. business and creating at least 10 jobs. The only thing that has not changed since the beginning is that each investor's investment must correlate to the creation of a minimum of 10 permanent full-time jobs. That is the only thing that has been consistent throughout. The amounts have changed, the thresholds have changed, everything. At this exact moment in time, the and this will change by the time this is aired, most likely, because they say March 11. At this exact moment in time, the thresholds are 500000 and a million, and that is dependent on the location of the investment, okay? It was up to 900000 and $1.8 million for a period of time. Wow. And the talk is, or the word on the street, or the proposed bill says 700 and a million. So it's the, the, the high end, which has always been at a million, or other than this short period of time when it was over, is is going to remain that way. Only the lower end is going to go up to 700. But they're also going to bring the regional center program back, which was the program where 
excuse me, the government raised most capital or the projects raised most capital, the ones that were able to count direct and indirect jobs, like hotels and assisted living facilities and restaurants and all kinds of large infrastructure projects. So they say, the word is, that they're coming back. And they've been on hold for about two years now. So the whole program has been in a state of, I don't know, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, yeah, so it's a very interesting time to be in this space. Interesting. Okay. So how do those two different limits work? Like what are the definitions of the lower limit and uh, the upper limit? <laughs> so it's based on the location, the location, the, if you're in a general location, which has average unemployment and like, it, it's just. Oh, overall, it's a million dollars at the moment. Mm -hmm. If you're in what's called a targeted employment area, which is an area where it could be a rural area or an area where the unemployment rate is 150% of the national average, that's where the lower threshold comes in. But what they do is they do like similar to gerrymandering where they manipulate <laughs> census tracts a little bit and they play with them so that you can qualify for the lower threshold. It's a big mess. And that's why they're, they have the program in such a state of flux. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I did also want to ask, you know, about different strategies that you see people having success using. You mentioned specifically for the EB5 visa, you know, people were using hotels at one point and that might be coming back, restaurants and other things. But, you know, more generally, folks investing from outside the United States, like where are you seeing in, in, in as far as strategy goes, folks having success versus you know, a, a particular investment that just might not, you know, statistically tend to work out for a, a, a cross. So the most investment. successful investors are investing in our short-term rentals, especially now, which are becoming increasingly popular, mm -hmm. especially turnkey rentals. We promote a lot of turnkey rentals in the Orlando area, for example, and multifamily. Multifamily is always going to be a, a huge opportunity for real estate investors. And if you can find one, there's there's great upside potential and potential cash flow as well. So um, multifamily is definitely a big one. I'm on the commercial side. I'm the chair of the International Investment Committee for EXP Commercial. Oh, so awesome. I focus on commercial, but I actually am not one who goes out and does the deals. What I am is a referral agent. So I refer residential and commercial clients, lots and lots of residential clients, because of course, with the Canadians investing, them investing in single family, multifamily homes all over the U.S., but obviously heavily in Florida for obvious reasons, just like everybody else these days isn't <laughs> coming to Florida. So interesting. Interesting. Okay, nice. So I do wonder about the, uh, as far as the EB-5 goes, I'm just, I'm kind of stuck mentally on the idea of creating 10 jobs and how, how we even really quantify that. I mean, we have a hotel, so we can probably project that, but you know, our larger apartment complexes employ people, right? So does that count as creating jobs if we're buying at a, a value really add? Depends. But it guess. Okay. Yeah, there's there's direct and indirect and induced jobs. Okay. Right now only direct jobs count. W two jobs where you pay a salary. With the regional center program, the other types of jobs counted, induced and indirect. At the moment, those jobs don't count. So you have to do, you have to show that your intention is to create these jobs, what the jobs are, give all the details, a job timeline, and then you get a conditional green card initially, and then the conditions are lifted if you can prove that the jobs were created. So it's a two-year conditional green card. And that over those two years, you create those jobs and you show that they've been created, you show proof, and then you can potentially have your, your 
of conditions lifted. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So before we move on to the the final f- part of the show, I'm just thinking about, you mentioned you get inquiries from people who, you know, presumably want to use your services to invest in the U.S. from uh, across the borders. And you probably see a range of levels of qualification, people who have, you know, capital ready to go. They've got enough to invest and, you know, set up the legal structures and all that. You probably have people sure. reach out who aren't ready for one reason or another. hundred percent. You know, what are typical factors that indicate that somebody's not ready to go? Well, if they have, okay, so if they've never invested in real estate before, they have $10,000 in the bank, they don't have a potential strategic partner, they aren't working with a coach, they just want to find a cheap opportunity to invest because they're, they're not existent in most other countries, certainly Canada. They think that they're going to cash flow at 12%, you know, <laughs> cap rate, which I would be investing. Thank you very much. They don't understand that they need property management if they're doing short-term rentals, for example. They just really don't understand what's involved. And then they think that if they buy a piece of real estate, one single family home, they're going to get a visa. Or if they invest $2 million in a single family home, they're going to get a visa. I'm like, you can invest $50 million (laughs) in a single family home and not get a visa because that's not a business. So one of the things that we do, well, we have many, many resources available, but we also offer um, consults. They're paid with me or consults with my team to discuss what is really needed. And if you can potentially qualify, if you have what it takes, or if, you know, how much does it cost to invest in a business and get a visa? That's going to depend on the business in the industry, what your background is and so on. So we like to be very specific the general rule of thumb for a non-real estate business is around 100000 but that's not a rule. It's just an, a discretionary interpretation of the rule. The rule to get a visa is a substantial investment in a non-marginal business. Mm-hmm. So, so less hard, and f- not, not hard and fast rules, but kind of uh, like, not like um, EB-5. Rules of thumb, you know. Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. Okay, interesting. All right, great. I'm glad uh, glad we broke into that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Lauren, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yep. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Oh, it's a hard question to answer. I think the best investment that I made was in it was in coaching because without my coaching program and the structure that it helped me build around my business, I wouldn't be able to sustain what's going on now. There's no way. Leverage, sustain, build a team. So definitely an investment in coaching was a big investment for me. Certainly investing in real estate, but that goes without saying so, but coaching. So you, in addition to assisting real estate investors, you are a real estate investor yourself as well. Correct. Okay, good, good. So I'm always glad when we have, uh, you know, folks on the show who provide a service when they invest in real estate as well. It's, we're speaking the same language, which is really uh, great to hear. For sure. 
So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, and that's a tough one. I think the worst investment I ever made was, well, it may not be, but was in my second marriage <laughs> when my ex-husband was deported because oh, that geez. was a big investment emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially. And it definitely did not work out very well, <laughs> to say the least. But you know what? You know, I learned lessons from it and I think I came out stronger. So that I think as long as you're able to do that, you always have to learn from your mistakes. And that was definitely a very big, very costly mistake on many levels. Wow. Good to learn that lesson, I suppose. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So I hate to sound quick, but the most, okay, actually, I'll give you two answers. One is trust your gut, because honestly, my gut has maybe once in the whole time steered me wrong. And every time I don't listen to my gut, I pay the price every <laughs> single time. If I take on a client, which I've done, I'll give you a really great example, okay? About six months ago, maybe less, when all of this craziness started and my business started being as busy as it is, it's really happened in the past three months. This is probably around American Thanksgiving. Client, prospective client found me in a very unusual way and set up a consult, paid for the consult, said they wanted to hire me. I could tell that they weren't really going to be listening to everything I told them. <laughs> they thought they knew more than me. And you know, that's always a warning sign. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I needed the client more than the client needed me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I took the client, sent a contract, client signed contract. Guess what happened? Client didn't pay for the, for the initial payment. And I don't start work till the client pays. Thank you. And then client prospective client, because now forget, they don't forget, they don't have all the elements of the contract because they haven't paid. There's no compensation. Not so they're not yet. formally a client. I see them going into these groups and saying, oh, there's this pushy lawyer. Are you, how would you feel about working with a pushy lawyer? And I'm like thinking, this must be me because, <laughs> you know, and I, and I wasn't being pushy. I was trying to help them figure out how to convert their money. So Flash forward, they send me a note saying we're canceling. I mean, it was such a bunch of baloney. A note saying we're canceling this contract. It's our right of, uh, you know, the cooling off period in Florida, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. Best of luck to you. Guess what happened, Taylor? Three days ago, this person calls me, oh. messages me on Facebook, emails me and texts me saying, we need your advice because we think the lawyer we hired gave us bad advice. And I'm oh, thinking, boy. are you kidding me? You're you have the nerve after what you did to come to come to me. And you know what I did? I actually called them and without even intending to, because I can't help myself, I basically gave them their answer. And then I said, I go, you know, it's kind of strange. You didn't want to hire me because you thought I was pushy. But now when you're uncertain of the lawyer you hired, you come back to the person that you didn't want to hire. Like, that's just strange. But that tells you, trust your gut. I didn't trust my gut. And in retrospect, I'm glad that they didn't go forward because it would have been a nightmare. And I said to my, my team right after that, I said, I bet that they're going to offer to pay me a lot of money, which they did to take over their case. And I said, no, mm -mm. no, yeah. no, no. They're, they could pay me $500,000. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't take their case <laughs> now if my life depended on it. No way. <laughs> no. 
Anyway, that just shows you, you really do need to trust your gut and work with a coach. Don't try to do it alone. Build a team and work with a coach. So I said three in one there, but I kind of cheated. <laughs> hey, that's fine. I, I have, I appreciate the uh, anecdote as well, applying that lesson to your business. I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing all these great lessons with us. If folks want to reach out, if they want to find you on the internet, if they want to, you know, learn more about your services or find the, the 10 steps uh, that you mentioned earlier, where can they track you down? So generally speaking, most of my stuff is branded around investingacrossborders.net and realestateacrossborders.com. Additionally, I have a bot, which is, we just launched it about three weeks ago. And you can go and ask any questions. And it's ask Lauren ESQ, ask L-A-U-R-E-N-E-S-Q.com. And you could just go in there and shoot up a little bot. I'm sorry, a little question. And we'll try to answer it. And hopefully the bot will have the answer for you. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts five stars. You don't mind you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content. You're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe no matter what podcast app you use and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>